0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson as always I am your good friend and host Steve Robertson here on the Maroon Friday edition of the yard it is a travel day for me so I'm actually recording this Thursday night it's been uh, I had an early Father's Day dinner spent a little time with the fam and uh, part of the fam most of the fam is scattered throughout the country but uh, I'll be headed to Omaha tomorrow so I'm excited about it I can't wait to get back we've been talking about it all year right And not that I'm going to sit here and pat myself on the back, but I've been telling you guys for a year that we are an Omaha team. This is a good baseball team. Now, have we had some warts? Man, yeah, we have. And uh, one of the concerns we had much of the year was, you know, where's the right-handed power going to come from? You know, we got Cam James and Logan Tanner, uh, both with double-digit dingers. You got Rowdy, a switch hitter, double-digit dingers. Tanner Allen, Luke Hancock, left-handers, double-digit dingers. So, we got five guys that's got ten or more home runs. I don't expect there to be many, if any, home runs hit this week uh, down at Omaha by us. Maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe some guy could, you know, step into one. But, uh, listen, the park play's pretty big. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But, you know, the bottom line is this this is a good team. We're a really good team. I felt all year that we were an elite team. I felt that our top ten Ranking was justified all year, even early on, and I think that loud weekend in Arlington made all the difference. I think it showed people early on that we were for real. We didn't go play, you know, uh Jacksonville State and beat up on them. We went one two out of three and should have won all three against three teams that ended up being top eight national seeds the first weekend of the year. And it just goes to show you again how important non-conference scheduling can be and why it is so important to have at least one big weekend in the non-conference against teams or a team that is going to give you some RPI building opportunities. Your administration, your head coach, everybody involved in Mississippi State baseball fought tooth and nail to go play that thing out at Arlington. It would have been so much easier to say, you know what, we're going to play, stay home and you know, we'll pick up West Virginia or somebody else that's available. Or I guess it was Jacksonville State had to cancel West Virginia. But you understand my point. It had been very easy. And I said, hey, guys, we're going to just open a season at home against somebody else. That would have been the easy thing to do. You guys would have come, right? Say, hey, it's exciting. I can't make it to Texas. So I'll come over to Starkville. But they didn't because they understood how important that weekend back in February was going to be come late May. They had the foresight then to kind of understand, you know what, when we're battling for a top eight national seed, we're going to need a win or two. It would be nice to have a couple of these wins under our belt when the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee reviews our file. And so that weekend proved to be very important for Mississippi State, but also, too, I guess really legitimized us as a true top ten team. Even though at times we didn't always play like it, you know, we had some warts this year. We had some things to figure out. You know, could Cam James play short. We moved him to third. You know, listen. You know, sometimes people forget this is his first rodeo with uh, with SEC play, as it was for Lane Forsythe, as it was for Scotty DeBrule, as it was for Luke Hancock playing first. You remember Josh Hatcher started the year first, as it was for Logan Tanner, Brad Kumbast. You remember early in the year, many of you didn't even want Brad Cummins to play. I can't hit the breaking ball, Steve. Can't do it. It's a liability. Got to get him out of there. Yeah, outside of T.A. and Rowdy Jordan and then Josh Hatcher, to a lesser extent, we didn't have anybody that had played in the SEC. But we had an awful lot of potential. We had an awful lot of talent. And now we're beginning to realize that potential, and we're being able to use that talent to kind of push this thing ahead. And so now that we've gone through the grind of the SEC schedule and had some real tests in the postseason, we're Omaha ready. Does that mean we win it? I'm not ready to make that call. But I think Mississippi State is battle-tested enough to go to Omaha and make a serious run at this thing. I'm going to give you some reasons why later in the show. I think you're going to find it awfully interesting. Because sometimes we get so caught up in our own stuff, we're so acutely aware of what's happening with our program, we think it only happens to our program. We think that everybody else in the country's already solidified their three. Like they've had the same three weekend pitchers all year long. I mean, it, there's very few teams that happens to. Either you get injuries, you get guys that uh, are lost for seasons, you get guys that may miss the starts, you get guys that are ineffective. You know, things happen. You know, we think everybody else in the country is, uh, is solid one through nine in their lineup. That's just not true. And I'll be honest with you, just to kind of call it as it is, Notre Dame's probably the best lineup we face faced this year. And that includes Arkansas. Arkansas second. But Notre Dame one through nine, there was not an easy out in the lineup. And I'm not saying there's a lot of easy outs in the Arkansas lineup, but I, you know, on a neutral field, I'd much rather play Arkansas than I would Notre Dame. You say, well, Steve, I don't understand. Well, you know, if we're not playing them in an offensive park, all of a sudden Arkansas's offense is, is sputters a little bit. But the Notre Dame offense is completely different. Yeah, they hit some bombs, but listen, what I liked about Notre Dame is they came out swinging. They didn't come out looking to work counts. They were looking to be aggressive early in counts when they got pitches to hit. And they put good wood on them. And it wasn't just a matter of trying to hit home runs. They had some balls leave the yard, but they weren't up there dropping their shoulders. You didn't see those guys going up there just trying to calculate, okay, we've got to do 70% lift here. No. They were gripping and ripping, man, and uh, looking, looking for fastballs early in counts. And you can just tell they were so well coached and had a plan. And they were on a lot of our stuff. And we still beat them. We're going to be better for that experience. You know, when you when you have teams like that that play at such a high level, they bring out the best in you. They also expose some of your weaknesses and some of your deficiencies. And so you kind of get those things identified, and you can kind of begin to shore those things up. Now, it's late in the year to make any wholesale changes, but I'm just talking about, you know, when Jake Gotro goes and, and studies that film and says, okay, well, this is how they pitched us. This is how they were successful. This is where, you know, maybe they identified – you know, a hole in a swing right here. Let's see what we can do to fix that. You know, and so I think you learn a lot by playing high-quality competition, and everybody gets better from that. It's good to go be evaluated. It's good to go test yourself. It's a big part of things, and so don't forget how significant that first weekend was and the chance for us to go get tested. That was a big deal. I mean, again, we talked. We drove to Birmingham and jumped on a charter flight with Ole Miss and then flew to Arlington. That's probably never happened before, right? <laughs> Sharing a playing with Ole Miss, you know. And everybody tells me, every, and everything was fine. Yeah, there, wasn't, there wasn't any, you know, mean glances or anything like that. I think everybody was just so relieved to go play and kind of get the season going that, you know, it's like, hey, we're in this thing together. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Texas, okay? I'm, I'm not going to preview the whole College World Series today, but we are going to talk about the, the Saturday and Sunday games, so my plans are I'm going to get up really early on Friday, hit the road and jam some tunes and uh, just kind of enjoy the drive. I don't want all that anxiety of kind of rushing to get there on Saturday. I got to go get my credential and kind of get settled. And so I'm going to do all that stuff tomorrow. That way I've got Saturday to go get my credential and go enjoy this couple of ball games. I'm just going to enjoy being there. I'm going to enjoy being in Omaha at the College World Series. And there's going to be some great baseball played on Saturday. And then we'll get ready to play on Sunday. So I'm going to pick the weekend. And then when I come back on Monday show, because I'm going to bring my stuff with me, right? When I come back on Monday, you know, we'll preview uh, the next round of games. Because we're going to play Sunday and Tuesday. That's the only thing we're guaranteed is two games. The rest of them we have to earn. Not that we haven't earned the right to be here, but you understand my point. We're only guaranteed two I'm also going to need you guys too. Those of you that uh, that get the Clarion Ledger, I'm going to need some help for those of you that um, you know that you get at Sunday Clarion Ledger. I need you to look in the uh, on the Mississippi bestsellers list, the Mississippi Read section on Sunday, and and send that to me, please. Because supposedly I'm going to be on there again. You know, I've been on there a lot, but uh, you know I got a new book out and I'm told it's going to be on there. And so I'm excited about that. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can go find it uh, at Amazon, Books of Million, BarnesandEllible.com, all of those online retailers. You can find it at Lemuria Books there in Jackson. Uh, Turn Turnrow Books there in Greenwood is going to be carrying the book soon. They can go ahead and get it for you. Your favorite bookstores can get it. They can go to Ingram and order it and have it sent to you. If you want personalization, you need to call Bookmart and Cafe in Starkville. And tell them how you want it signed, and I'll sign it. I go by there a couple times a week and sign books. So if you order anything from them signed while I'm gone, you're going to have to wait until I get back. So just kind of have your heads up there. But if you don't care about personalization, you can just order from Amazon. And as you saw, I'm so grateful, Mike Leach sends out a tweet in support of the book saying, read this book from a great author and a great friend, Steve Robertson. It's very kind of him to do that. And uh, actually, he approached me and said, hey, I'd like to help you with this. Will you send me the information on the book? I'd like to send a tweet out, and maybe perhaps we can help you a little bit. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that there's ever been a coach at Mississippi State that would have made that offer to me. And that's not that I haven't had a good relationship. I have. I mean, I've had a good relationship with all of our coaches, I think. I think they would say the same. You know, some you know closer than others. I mean, obviously, I mainly cover football and baseball, but – you know, I've never had anybody come say, hey, let's help you. Now, I've had some people have me sign books for them, but I've never had anybody come say, hey, listen, let me help you with this. But Mike walked up to me and said, hey, listen, this is going on with you, and I'm really excited about your new book, and um, you know, this is what I can do to help. And I, I'm, I was flabbergasted, and I thought, well, maybe he's just being nice. But he wasn't. He meant it. It blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. You know, Even though he said he was going to do it, you know, because you know, sometimes when you're around people, you, especially busy people like that, you think, "Yeah, I mean, they just kind of say it to promote conversation." But, but Mike Leach meant it. It means a lot to me, and not just because of the fact it gives us greater exposure for the book. It's the fact that he sees some value in the work that I do and, and wants to help me. And uh, I think it says a lot about him and his character. Now, I didn't—I I was already a Mike Leach fan long before he got here, and and it's interesting too just kind of being around him some casually. I'm amazed at how the guy's mind works. Spend a lot of time visiting, talking to him, and he can talk to you about anything. He knows a little bit about everything and a lot about a lot. But this was one of those things that just kind of blew me away. You know Mike Leach, the Mike Leach, the air raid godfather, the swing your sword guy, said, hey, let me, let me help you with your book. I don't even know what to say. I just texted him, I said, Coach, thanks very much. You're a good man. I mean that too. There were so many people before he came said, you know what, Steve, it's just not going to be a good fit. You know, because they see the Key West stuff and, they, you know, they see that he's a little bit eccentric and they think, you know, you know he's just going to be an interesting fit and start. When I even saw you know, some some fans of our rival schools kind of suggested that. And on the surface, I can kind of see that. But then when, you, when I read Swing Your Sword – you read about him growing up in cody wyoming and you, you read about their, their humble beginnings and the, you know the fact that he's kind of you know found a home with land-grant institutions and things like that texas tech's not one of those but um it's kind of a remote outpost and the thing that he pointed out to me you know like washington state you know the people that are true fans of washington state are completely loyal Completely. I mean you don't have casual fans of Washington State. I mean, they have the lowest budget in the Power Five. It's the, mo- remote, the most remote outpost in the Pac twelve. They're kind of tucked away, away from all the good stuff of Seattle. They're closer to Boys than they are Seattle. And so unless Spokane Washington produces a player, they're not going to be able to really get anybody in the local footprint. But the people that, are, that go to Washington State love Washington State. It's not just, hey, well, I'm going there because of this. Those people have a real connection with the university. Well, that's the same thing for Mississippi State. You know, if you look, and, you know, not that I want to talk a lot about Ole Miss today, but, you know, Ole Miss, to their credit, you know, they, you know, they recruit a lot of out-of-state students. You know, Mississippi State recruits a lot of out-of-state students too, but, you know, kind of our core – alumni base are people that are born and raised right here in mississippi now, they may move to parts unknown or whatever and kind of spread around the southeast once they get their education you know but they you know a lot of people may go to a certain school just to go to a school but by and large i would suggest that our mississippi state fan base is a lot like washington state and a lot like texas tech that people feel a real connection to the university that's not, and that's not to say there's not some almost people that feel the same way about their school. I'm confident there are. I'm not suggesting that. But I think there is, there's simply a difference. And, and Mike Leach, I asked him one day, I said, what is it about the land-grant schools that appeals to you? And without a hesitation, he says work ethic. It's work ethic. You know, p- people that go to land-grant schools are generally blue-collar people that believe in work. Well, so does Mike Leach. You do your research on Mike, he's not this you know, this eccentric, mad scientist at the end of the day, what he does is he establishes foundational standards and holds people accountable. That's old school. That's not, you know, this hipster doofus stuff. Mike Leach is an old school blue-collar coach that just happens to run a pretty innovative offense. His core values match ours. And the longer that I'm around him and the more that I talk to him, the more that I realize this was the absolute best fit for us and for him. We fit Mike Leach and Mike Leach fits us. And the more that he travels with the Road Dogs tour, and that's the thing I think is so special because last year they didn't get to do that kind of stuff. But so many people that have reached out and kind of shared their firsthand accounts of hearing Coach speak, I said, man, Steve, this guy is so great. Because you see the stuff on TV and you see the 60 Minute Special and that sort of stuff, and you see the videos on YouTube and you only kind of see the hits, you know what I'm saying? You don't see the deep tracks. You don't see him talking about the things he really believes in. You you see the jokes and you see, you know, Coach, who's your favorite Smurf and things, silliness like that. You see that stuff. And so it's kind of painted Mike in many ways in a false light. Yeah, he has those moments too where he's very silly. I'm I'm not disputing that. But I think in many ways his true personality has not been properly represented in the media because everybody wants the hot take. They want the rants. They want, you know, Well, who would win a battle royal between the Pac-12 mascots? Well, yeah, that's cute and it's funny. And Mike sometimes knows that he's entertaining. That doesn't in any way diminish the fact that this is a man that believes in hard work. This is a man who is very blue-collar. It's really a no-frills kind of guy. Yeah, he gets out and travels and goes to places and things like that that are very exotic because he wants to see the world and he's got the ability to do so because he's worked hard to earn the money that's available to him. But this is a guy that fits Mississippi State. Looking at talking to him out there at camp the other day, the you know, coach walks up and he's, you know, he's got his cargo shorts on, got his T-shirt on, hair's a little bit disheveled. It looks a little bit like, you know, one of our, one of our freshman college students that's uh, late for an 8 a.m. class. But he was so happy to be out there. He was happy to be able to talk shop. And, you know, the coach from Louisiana, one of the assistants from Louisiana Moreau was there. And some high school coaches were there. And and he is so eager to talk football and so eager to talk concepts and so eager to talk about the offense. And you could just tell how much he enjoyed being around people just talking shop. And so all of this Perception about him that he was you know who's was going to be like a fish out of water here it's just completely wrong and i asked him not in an official capacity but i asked him how you feel about your team hey you know pretty good pretty good he goes no, we'll see what fall looks like yeah i feel pretty good talked a little bit about the receiver room you know feels pretty good we got some playmakers there and we need them so I hope to talk to Coach here in the next few weeks. Hopefully we'll be able to talk when he gets back from his next vacation. And because um, and, uh, I've got some things, I got, you know, I've got to go cover College World Series here for a couple of weeks. And then uh, Coach is going to have uh, some time away. I'd like to be able to just kind of sit down and just kind of talk to him, you know, kind of get an idea of, you know, what, what questions does he want to get answered in fall camp and things like that. And, and, um, but I'm very, very grateful to Coach. But I'm also grateful to our administration for, for taking the risk to go out and you know, throw, throw, throw an offer in front of Mike Leach and make him tell you no. Those are the things that I think about, too. I mean, that, that is just so not Mississippi State thinking, at least not the old Mississippi State thinking. We went out and got a sitting Power Five head coach, and every SEC school, well, maybe with the exception of Alabama, every fan base has fantasized about what it would be like to have Mike Leach as your coach, and now we do. Mississippi State has Mike Leach as the coach. And to be honest with you, after being around him for a while, I think he's actually better than advertised. I'd like to thank our friends from Bulldog Burger Company for their support. You guys, listen, the reviews out of the new location there in Ridgewood, fantastic. And keep sending them. Because, I, you know, I pass them along to when I go into Bulldog Burger Company, I kind of pass that along. And then you know, when I talk to John, I, I share them with him. I've had so many people that say, you know what, Steve, we were so excited to have it. And, yeah, it's been busy, but uh, you know what? It's been great. And it's going to continue to be busy, and it's going to continue to be great. And, you know, again, be patient, a little bit patient with them. I haven't heard of any bad stories or anything like that. But, you know, just understand it, it's its a new operation with new employees. But you got a great manager down there in Egan few He is a great guy. He'll do a tremendous job down there. But uh, I get excited, man, because – you know, Bulldog Burger's been with me for a long time now, and and it's been uh, it's been wonderful. But I tell you, I was so excited for all of you guys to be able to have something like this in your neck of the woods. And I got friends that say, you know what, Steve, we've been twice now already. <laughs> it's only been open like three weeks, and they've already been twice. And so let me just encourage you. When you're in the area, you go by. It's on Lake Harbor Road. You know where it is. And then, of course, the the, the flagship right here in Stark, Vegas, on university drive and in gloucester street and tupelo i haven't been to the new original location i've been yet i've seen pictures i have been to tupelo and i've been to starkville these guys know how to pick buildings they do a great job go by check them out have the spring rolls they'll make you and everybody around you better looking and we all need more of that and maybe get that chocolate shake to go it's okay because you know, maybe you're maybe it's a cheap meal for you whatever it is or maybe you cheat on every day on every meal but get that shake to go. That's one of those cool things too. I, I like that. You know, maybe when I want a little something sweet, but I don't want to. You know, I don't. I don't want to have a dessert per se. I can, I'm in a hurry or whatever. I can just about midway through my meal say, "Listen, I'm gonna get a chocolate shake to go," and then around the time they're bringing the check, the shake is ready too. They kind of time it that way. And you know, that, and and that's not just because it's me. That's just because they know what they're doing. So maybe let your waitress know. You know, when hey, when you're starting to wind down a little bit, I'm gonna get that chocolate shake to go. They'll have it ready. You pay, pay your check, and they give you a shake, and you leave. They've got it down to a science. our Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's jump into Texas. I've been looking at Texas all day. I'm ready to play Texas, guys. I'm not scared of Texas. They say don't mess with Texas. We're fixing to mess with Texas because we've already beaten Texas. They're a better club since then. We're a better club since then. And you're going to be amazed when I go back and read this lineup to you and some things, (laughs) you're going to be amazed. Let's run through their schedule first. And then we're going to go back and talk about the first matchup and kind of how I see things shaking out uh, on Sunday night. And, again, I'm I'm excited about the match. To be honest with you, Texas is really good. And you could say, well, you know, Steve, that they may be a little bit overrated. That may be true, but it kind of goes back to, to what we've talked about. There's really not a dominant team in baseball. Arkansas was the closest thing we had, and they weren't the uh, the 85 Bears, the, the you know the 61 Yankees. They were really good, Borland great, but they couldn't get it done. It's not about who's not here; it's about who's here. It's a complete wide open field in Omaha. You could make a solid case for just about every team in the field. I mean, there there's some. Obviously, you know, Virginia got hot late kind of same for nc state but nc state has that pitching you know and pitching plays at omaha so you could make a case for just about anybody which i think bodes well for us You know, some people are suggesting texas should win the thing maybe they will they've been 37 times been more than anybody but this is a texas team too that i think has got some got some holes too there are no perfect teams As Ron Polk told us at the beginning of the year, there are no perfect teams. And the best teams don't always make it to Omaha. It's almost like Polky was a prophet. So, let's look at their schedule. Just to kind of, let's see who all they played. Because sometimes I don't think we keep up with all that. So, of course, Texas opens the year losing to Mississippi State. You knew about that. That was an 8-3 ball game. We dominated the game and then they lose 4 nothing to Arkansas, and then 8-1 to Ole Miss. So it was not a good weekend, and there were a lot of people thinking, you know what, hey, that we may have a coaching change in College Station and Austin this year. But, hey, give David Pearson his staff, they turned it around. They give them a lot of credit. Uh, they win three of the next four, all those against BYU. They played a Wednesday through Saturday series. They lose the Saturday game. But hammered BYU pretty good. Not that BYU was expected to be good. And they took down uh, Texas A&M-Corpus Christi in a midweek game. They beat Texas State. Went to Houston, took two out of three from Houston. They take uh, Sam Houston, and then they go and play South Carolina at their place. And at that time, South Carolina was ranked 12th in the country. It was a huge series win when it happened. Because you know, a lot of people thought South Carolina was going to be legit this year. They do make the tournament and host a regional, but they got bounced in the regionals. But Texas swept them in Austin. Then they take down uh, UT Rio Grande Valley in a midweek game. They go to Baylor, take two out of three from Baylor, lose the uh, Sunday game. They beat UIW 10-1 in a midweek game. They, they take two out of three from Oklahoma. They lose at A&M in the midweek in College Station. That's a 2 nothing ball game. That's the thing I think about, too, is did a, a midweek pitcher – from Texas A&M, the team that finished seventh in the West, shut down Texas, shut out Texas. Uh, They sweep Kansas and Lawrence. They come back and beat A&M, Corpus Christi, Stephen F. Austin. They sweep Kansas State. They sweep Nevada. They sweep Abilene Christian. And in case you're wondering, you're not hearing a lot of names of a lot of teams that uh, made the tournament. They do take two out of three at Oklahoma State. At the time, that was pretty big. Oklahoma State was ranked in the top 25 at the time. They beat the powerhouse of UIW again in a midweek game. They then lose two out of three in Austin to Texas Tech. They bounce back in one big on the Sunday game, but they got handled Friday and Saturday at home by the Red Raiders. And the Red Raiders aren't necessarily known to have a great pitching staff. They take Texas State down, and then they go to TCU – and uh, they win two out of three, which basically wrapped up the Big 12 championship for them. They get Rice and Texas Southern canceled in a midweek game. Those are our RPI opportunities, obviously, that were canceled. And they, they take two out of three against West Virginia uh, to close out the regular season. They get into the Big 12 tournament and they lose to West Virginia, come back to beat Oklahoma and West Virginia, and then lose to Oklahoma State. Not great teams. You know, Oklahoma State makes the field, but, uh, you know, when I look at this schedule, not a lot jumps off at me and says, oh, this is a dominant team. Because remember, they, you know, Texas Tech, TCU, all those teams basically beat each other up. And so when you go back and, and look at this, and you look at, let's just look at the Big 12 standings here. I think it's important to kind of look at things in a proper context. And uh, let me get this pulled up here so we can look at here. The, you know, the Big 12 baseball championship series was was a lot of fun I'm sure for everybody involved that's not necessarily what I'm looking for but the issue here is that the Big 12 I just don't think was very good this year I know that they were ranked high most of the year but when you look at who they played in a non-conference it's not necessarily what you would expect maybe it's just me and I'm not, I'm not just going just kind to of talk myself into this. I think Texas is a great team, a really good team, shall we say. Borderline great. I just don't know if they've been properly tested. And I don't mean COVID tested. I mean baseball tested. Because you, you, you want to say that that big, that that big series against Texas Tech was big. You want to say that series against TCU was big. But when we look at what happened to those guys in the tournament – you begin to ask yourself, well, were they really that good or did they have a bad weekend? You know, TCU struggled down the stretch. You guys remember, and that was one of the things that we talked about, and there was a lot of national prognosticators that were still on their tip a lot. You know, it's like, hey, TCU this, and the TCU lost, I guess, what, they ended the year with four losing weekends in a row. You know, in hindsight, one could have argued Mississippi State probably deserved to be seated ahead of TCU. I think it actually worked out to our advantage, though, to be on this side of the bracket. So let's look at this uh, – look at the standings here. I don't know why they make it so difficult on this side. Maybe it's just because I'm unfamiliar with it. But Texas wins the Big 12 with a 17-7 and record in the Big 12. They, they were tied with TCU, but they, had, they beat TCU two out of three. So those teams tied in a regular season. Uh, Texas was the one seed in the tournament. But once you get through Texas Tech, who was third at 14-10 and – there was not a single team in this conference that had a winning record in conference. Not a single one. Oklahoma State was 12-12, and 12, Oklahoma 11-13, Baylor also 11-13, Kansas State 10-14, West Virginia 8-16, Kansas 8-16. So it was a very top-heavy league, which again kind of casts some doubts on how good the Big, the Big 12 really is. And there are a lot of years it was a great team. I'm just not completely sold yet. I might be after Sunday, but I'm just not completely sold yet that Texas is really the favorite in this thing. I just don't think they've been tested. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they show up and make me look really stupid on Sunday. Maybe they go out there and just absolutely blast us. I just don't see it coming, though. Let's go back and look at that first game of the year. We were ranked seven, they were ranked nine. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time running through this because we did it back then. But, guys, this was not a ball game in the ninth. It was 8-1 Mississippi State in the ninth. 8-1. And they put up a couple runs late to kind of make it look a little bit better. Landon Sims gets the win. Ty Madden takes the loss. But this was not a competitive ball game. And at the time, people were trying to figure out who we are and who they are. And we punked them. it's as simple as that. We absolutely blasted them. You know, let's just kind of run through the numbers here. You know, we get the second inning, we jump on them and uh, get a couple runs. And what's crazy, Taylor, let me run this lineup down for you, too. So, in the second inning, Landon Jordan singles to center and scores Luke Hancock. Later in the inning, Drew McGowan singles up the middle and scores Scotty DeBruyne, makes it 2-0. In the fourth, Luke Hancock hits a solo home run and make it 3-0. Rowdy Jordan reaches on an error that allows DeBruy to score, 4-0. Luke Hancock drives in Tanner Allen, makes it 5-0 there in the fifth. It's a 5-0 ball game in the fifth. Then Melendez hits a home run, and this is when Christian kind of came apart a little bit. So Melendez hits a home run, and the next thing you know, the bases are loaded, and then Landon Sims comes in and says no. Landon Sims says, hey, nice to meet you. I'm Landon Sims. The party's over. That's how it kind of broke down. But we continue to score some runs. Rowdy puts the ball in play, chases Landon Jordan home. Then Rowdy hits a tank in the eighth inning, out to left, makes it a 7-1 ball game. Josh Hatcher doubles down the right field line to score Tanner Allen, makes it an 8-1 game. And then there in the ninth, they score. Texas scores a couple garbage runs. Guys, it is an 8-1 ball game in the ninth inning. Eight. Now, your pitching is always ahead of hitting this time of year, but how do you explain the fact that we actually had kind of a pedestrian offensive lineup? We went out there and put up eight runs, and they threw their ace. A lot of baseball has been played since then, but I think I'd be awfully confident if I'm Mississippi State. And I, I can't guarantee you they're going to throw. Ty Madden. I wouldn't throw Ty Madden because we've already seen him, but also, you know, maybe they go with Hanson, who was kind of a soft toss and lefty, and that's, that's kind of been our kryptonite, right? Maybe they don't throw Ty Madden on Sunday. Maybe they wait and save him for Tuesday. Don't know. But let me run this down for you. So here was your starting lineup Rowdy Jordan at one. Cam James played short and hit second. TA was in a three hole. Hatcher was your cleanup hitter. Logan Tanner was six hole, excuse me, five hole, and then Luke Hancock was six. Luke Hancock was the talk of college baseball after that weekend. Had a great weekend. Scotty Brule uh, hit seventh. Landon Jordan was eighth. Drew McGowan ninth. Three of those nine guys, no longer in the starting lineup. Landon Jordan, of course, leads the team. So a third of the lineup from that ball game that trounced Texas eight to one, is no longer here. Now, I don't know what Drew McGowan's doing. I think he's still on the team. I don't think he's on the postseason roster. Uh, you know, but Drew was the guy early on we felt pretty good about. You know, and that game against TCU, Drew hits one absolutely on on the on the screws and just happened to go right to a guy. They, were, they had him scouted out pretty well. If not, we win that ball game against TCU. I mean, he absolutely murdered the baseball. They just had him played pretty well. But eventually – you know, Brad Cumbus takes over. We, we forget the fact that we had this, you know, musical chairs thing out there and left for a while. And eventually Brad Cumbus wins the job. So it's a much different deal for us. It's a different lineup. It just is. But yet we still beat him. <laughs> it's insane to think about now. Pitching-wise, McLeod goes four innings, allows six hits, one run, seven strikeouts. Landon Sims gets a win, four innings of perfect relief. No runs, no hits, no walks, ten strikeouts. He became the big discussion about, you know, the big relief pitcher from Mississippi State. Riley Self goes one-third of an inning and gives up a couple runs. Then we bring in Spencer Price and it's over. You don't know, need one of those guys are pitching either. Of course, Riley is uh, done for the year, rehabbing, and uh, Spencer Price not on the postseason roster. I think he's sovereign as a student assistant. I love both of those guys, man, I really do. Appreciate their contributions to Mississippi State. Wish they would have been able to remain healthy their whole careers. But I'm very grateful they shared the walk with us for a while and got their college degrees and hopefully had a great experience here. But, again, these are guys now that are not really contributing. And so I just bring you back to that to look, because I think it's important that we look, you know, kind of look back and understand yeah, you know, we we we've changed as a team since then. We're just not the same. We're not the same. built right, Bulldog fans! Our friends from Takovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Takovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Takovas has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand-new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop in new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit tacovas.com. Tecovas. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to Tacovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Team. We're a better team. We've identified some of our deficiencies. We've addressed them, kind of move forward. So let's look at these, uh, you know, kind of look at the Texas lineup, kind of look at what they're up to. They're a good team now. Don't, don't get me wrong. We're going to have to go play baseball. It's not going to be as simple as, let's just show up and, you know, roll the baseball out there and we're going to get a W. I mean, th- this game is so big for us, it could be one of those situations because of Texas pitching, you know, we win the ball game, chances are if, you know, we, they end up in a loser's bracket, we could see them again. But I really think you win that ball game on Sunday, it really sets up well for you. Because I really believe the team that wins the ball game Sunday night, is probably going to win that bracket. That That's how important I think that game is. Now, we probably have the pitching to come through a loser's bracket. I think Texas probably does too. I don't believe Tennessee does. I don't believe Virginia does. So whoever loses that Tennessee and Virginia game, I think is going to be the first team eliminated. And we'll see how things progress. But I, that's how important I think that that Sunday night game is, is I, I think who wins that will be playing for a national championship next week. So you got to bring your best effort. And, again, this is not a Texas team it's just going to look at you and say, oh, well, you know, it's going to be okay. No. All right, hitting-wise, uh, Mitchell Daly is leading the team with a three twenty one batting average. Uh, freshman. Uh, how did this guy get to Texas? From Bob Jones High School there in Madison, Alabama. Man, that's crazy, isn't it? Ivan Melendez, the guy that hit the tank off McLeod, also 321, has had a really good year for them. 321, 12 doubles, 12 dingers, 46 ribbies. And what's interesting, too, about this team, there's really not a lot of power on this team. You would expect that because Texas goes out and recruits all these prospecting type kids that look good in the uniform. Not a lot of pop in this lineup. It's kind of evenly distributed. You've got three guys that have hit double digit home runs. Three. Melendez, Cam Williams, and Zach Zubia. And again, a lot of that power is neutralized at Omaha. Cam Williams, we saw him. He went one for three against us with a double. Uh, he's a junior out of Odessa. wonder if he went to Perriman. Uh, now he went to Gaither. 6'2", 200. Cam Williams hitting three oh three on the year, 11 bombs, 47 ribbies. Zach Zubia... It's, you know, great baseball name for one. He went one for four against us. Uh, big guy, six four two thirty, 230, out of Richmond, Texas. Ten doubles, ten bombs, 57 ribbies. That 57 ribbies leads a team. They got some dudes now. They do. Douglas Hodu, he's a guy, too, we saw, but uh, didn't do much. If I'm not mistaken, I think he came in as a pinch runner against us. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But uh, he's kind of gotten it going as of late. shirt freshman guy that's uh, hitting two eighty eight. They got four guys hitting three hundred or better. Hodo with uh, five homers, 43 ribbies. Mike Antico, and it seems like that um, you know, Mike is a guy that uh, we probably need to get out. We did a good job of doing that back – in week one, we he went zero four against us, zero for four against us. Mike's an outfielder, redshirt senior out of Colts Neck, New Jersey, of all places. It's weird. There's a Colts Neck, New Jersey. So uh, Trey Faltini is a guy that really hounds shortstop, redshirt freshman guy. He went zero for four against us as well. Matter of fact, he started the year really, really cool. He went zero for the first four games. Went 0 for that weekend, and then the first ball game against BYU. took him a while to get going. But uh, he is a guy that plays a pretty mean shortstop and uh, not going to give us anything. Texas is not a a tremendous defensive team, but they're one of these teams, too, that uh, once they get on a roll with the pitching they have, they can put you under pretty quick. Uh, Mike Antico, a guy we talked about moments ago, leads a team with 39 stolen bases. You read that right, 39-43. Eric Kennedy... 17 of 21. Outside of that, it's pretty well distributed, but 39 stolen bases is an awful lot in today's college game. As a team, they're 85 out of 107 attempts. Opponents, however, have stolen just 33 of 51. They do a good job managing the run game there defensively. As a team, they're hitting 281 scored a few runs there 424 runs only allowed 194 and again i think that's really kind of a product of the competition they faced as well as their pitching 121 doubles 14 triples and 63 home runs 63 so not a team that uh you know that is a launch angle team per se not a team that is reliant on the long ball they've hit some obviously but not, uh, not what you would you know, maybe expect from Texas. So they're a team I think offensively probably fits Omaha pretty well. Kind of the same for us. And that's one of the things I look at these little snapshots, you know, between us and them. There's really a lot of similarities offensively between the two teams. I think in many respects you could, I could even argue Mississippi State might actually have the better offense. You know, as a team, Mississippi State hitting 282. What do we say about Texas? 281. Texas has hit 63 home runs. Mississippi State's hit 67. You know, so, excuse me, that's not right. We've hit 70. 70. So, we're a little bit better in most offensive statistical categories when you run this thing across here. I mean, kind of looking at the snapshots here, you. You kind of see what I'm talking about. I mean, they have scored a few more runs than us. But, uh, you know, we've hit more home runs. We've hit for a better average. And we've actually run the bases pretty well, too, not, but not as extensively as them. You know, we're only 68 of 84. But we hold runners, too. I don't know if you would realize this, but um, opponents are only 32 of 50 against us still on bases. So let's look at the, uh, the Longhorn pitching. I mean, you've heard so much about Ty Madden. A lot of people are telling us at the beginning of the year that you know, he could be you know, one of the first pitchers taken in the draft. Certainly expect him to be a first-rounder. Don't know if he goes first. There's a couple of guys at Vanderbilt pretty strong, too. You know, I think both of those guys will go before uh, Ty Madden. But there were some people that suggested that you know, Ty Madden might actually be the first right-hander taken. It didn't make a lot of sense at the time, and it doesn't make a lot of sense now. But it just goes to show you how well thought of that he was uh, in some circles. So, look at pitching numbers here. Cole Cantonella does a great job for him out of the bullpen. 24 appearances for him on the year, 35 innings pitched, 18 hits, and allowed just five runs, 36 Ks to 10 walks. Good chance we see him if we get into the bullpen there. And, again, I don't know if they throw Tom Madden against us. They, I don't, they haven't announced yet. Maybe they do it today. I don't know. But Ty Madden has been outstanding, 2.41 ERA, 7-4 and 4 record, though. 16 starts, so you can do the math on that. That's five no decisions. He has the one complete game. He's thrown 100.2 innings, allowed 67 hits, so people really aren't getting on base against him very often. His whip is 1.05. 33 runs against him, 27 of them earned. 39 walks to 119 strikeouts. The 39 walks are actually – a staff high he's allowed seven home runs on the year also a staff high so it's kind of one of those deals where when you get him you better make him pay opponents are hitting 189 against him just not a lot to look at and you say you know what he's obviously got amazing stuff but he hadn't had the dominant year many people expected him to have doesn't mean that he can't beat us he certainly can Well, let's go back and look at that stat line against Mississippi State. He only goes four innings. Four innings, allows four hits, four runs, three walks, five strikeouts. Bounced back and did pretty well the next couple of weeks. He gets uh, seven innings in, seven hits, excuse me, a seven-inning, one-hit performance with 11 Ks against BYU. And then a complete game shutout against Houston pretty outstanding work there so he bounced back pretty well against us and actually had a decent outing against South Carolina as well seven innings three hits just the one run but uh yeah he's their guy but down the stretch guys he is not throwing deep into ball games and so that's I begin to ask myself is this a situation where they have found some guys to trust in the bullpen or has he become a little uh, less effective well I think it's a combination of both to be quite honest with you looking at these numbers here you know, down the stretch, you know, against West Virginia, in a regular six innings, seven hits, five runs. In the tournament against West Virginia, six and two-thirds, three hits, three runs. You back up a little bit more, you can see Texas Tech got two in five, five innings, five hits, six runs. And so he has been hittable down the stretch. He put some mad numbers up early on in the non-conference, but once they got into Big 12 play, He only had one game when he had double digit strikeouts. Just the one. And again, I don't think it's a great year in the Big 12. The the one team he got to was Oklahoma State. They were a tournament team. Went 500 in their league, but they made the tournament 12 Ks. But down the stretch, I mean, it just, he was not dominant. Goodness, you look at the Kansas State game, just 2 Ks. So, yeah, can we get him? Absolutely. Will we see him? I don't know. And and I know there the temptation is to throw your best guy, but I think you gotta look at matchups. I I firmly believe that we'll throw Will Bednar. I I I firmly believe that. I think he's on schedule to do that, and the fact they hadn't seen him, I think is big. I don't know what they're hitting against right handers, but it makes sense to me. So Pete Hansen is a guy that has kind of emerged for them. He actually pitched against us in relief. He's a red shirt freshman, lefty. Uh, we saw him in relief. He went one inning, and we got three hits, two runs against him. So we hit him, but he has actually pitched pretty well down the stretch for them. Uh, kind of went from that, you know, middle relief spot starter role and then, you know, became a dude on the weekends. And so against Texas Tech, he goes seven and two-thirds. I guess that was kind of his first extensive action in uh, as a starter in the Big 12 because earlier he had thrown eight eight innings against Texas State in a midweek game. But down the stretch, he's Texas Tech, TCU, West Virginia, West Virginia, and then Fairfield. So he is basically a weekend guy now. He's earned that role, and they've kind of put him down there. And so he's getting six and seven innings of all game. Not giving up an awful lot either. Fairfield got six hits and a couple runs against him in six and two-thirds. West Virginia, kind of the same thing. Almost the identical stat line. Fairfield Cade 13 times, which was a season high for Hanson. So we could see him. Absolutely could. And the thing that I would think about that, though, is if he is a freshman throwing in Omaha against a team that has already beat you and has already beat him, you know, the mental aspect, you begin to ask yourself, okay, how does this work? And some people would say, well, there's a revenge factor. Guys, revenge gets you in trouble. You know that, that all feels good in practice, but once you get into a ball game, it's about execution. It's not about your emotional state and you know, what you've got to prove to somebody. You've got to go out there and execute pitches. You can't be emotional on the mound. You can be. You can be emotional in a dugout. You can be emotional walking off the mound after you struck out the side. But when you're locked in like that, until you get your third out, you've got to keep your emotions in check. So we could see Phil Hansen. I firmly believe it will be one of those two, Ty Madden or Phil Hanson. I think that makes the most sense. Hanson, uh, you know, again, 17 appearances, 13 of them starts. He was doing some mid-relief stuff, 9-1 on the year. Now, there is another dude that is actually pretty legit for them too. We may see him later in the week if we all advance, and that is Tristan Stevens, right-handed pitcher from Kickapoo. That's right, Kickapoo High School there in Springfield, Missouri. The redshirt junior 6'2", 200. Tristan Stevens has been outstanding for them. You know, maybe we see him. Who knows? Tristan Stevens, 2.97 ERA, 11-3 and 3 record, 16 starts on the year, 103 innings, which leads the staff. He has been hit, though. That's the thing with him. He is a guy you can hit a little bit. 90 hits, so just under a hit per inning, but not nearly uh, what Ty Madness put up. Uh, has allowed just 19 runs on the year, 17 of them earned, 71 Ks against 22 walks. So not just uh, you know, alarming numbers as a strikeout guy. He's a guy that lets you put it in play. But um, opponents are hitting two thirty-three, which is the highest among their starters. So I'm eager to know who they're going to start, but, you know, there's just so much out there. And so, you know what, Todd Madden will probably get game one. And if that's the case, I think that's good for us. I think we had a great game plan on him to begin with. I think we'll have a great game plan on him again. Now, will he change some things up? Probably so. But you know, at the end of the day, you are who you are. Your out pitch is still your out pitch. did not like he's going to add a pitch between, you know, last week and now. You go out there and do what you do. Can he be a little bit sharper? Can you be a little crisper? Probably so. But as I mentioned, down the stretch, he wasn't nearly as dominant. Maybe he's getting arm-weary or maybe just somebody has emerged and they're trying to manage his innings a little bit better. Don't know. But I know this, I don't think Mississippi State is going to be scared of Ty Madden. I don't think Mississippi State is going to be scared of anybody. There's no way that we're going to see anybody in this tournament that is better than what we've seen all year long. That's not to say there are not some great pitchers in here. I'm just saying that really is a testament to the quality of play in the Southeastern Conference. SEC teams are ready to play by the time they get to Hoover. Arguably the best starting pitching in this tournament is a team that we should have beaten Nashville. They're on the other side of the bracket, as you guys are well aware, Vanderbilt. So if we can hit Jack Leiter, we can hit Ty Madden, and we've already done it. So that's your look at Texas. I'm going to call it right now Mississippi State's going to be Texas. I like Mississippi State's chances to win the bracket, but I'm not going to get ahead of myself today. I like State's chances to beat Texas for a couple reasons why. Number one, Mississippi State has been here. Mississippi State has been in Omaha. Mississippi State has players that have played on the big stage. Not a lot of them, but our leadership has. And the fact that you have the mental edge over Ty Madden, Texas. Guys, that that ball game, that was an absolute whipping. And and maybe you've forgotten it because we were just so excited to be beating Texas because I remember how excited I was. But you go back and look in hindsight, they couldn't do anything against us. You know, Christian hit a little bump in the road there, and uh, then all of a sudden, you know, we had to go get him. We bring in Landon Sims. Now let's look at this box score one time before we, before we move on here and get the top ten list. They had nine hits in the game, nine of them, and only get three runs because we actually played pretty well defensively in the ballgame. But let's look how those hits were distributed. Christian gives up six in four innings, and then they don't get another hit until the ninth. This was an absolute bloodletting. Now, granted, they won't see Landon Sims in middle relief now. I also think that uh, whoever starts Mississippi State pitching is going to go long in four innings. One of the things that I, I'll get to that a little bit later in the show, but one of the things that I want to talk about, too, is about how I'm, you know, I think our pitching staff really fits Omaha really well. All right, let's jump into today's top 10 list, brought to you by johnnypacker.com. I had somebody message me and say, hey, I want to look into that. I couldn't fully understand what you're saying. It's Johnny Packer, like Green Bay Packer, johnnypacker.com. And be sure to let them know that I sent you by using promo code Boneyard. It'll save you 10% off your purchase. Great sunglasses, great quality, great guys, Mississippi State guys. I'm a firm believer in doing business with Bulldogs whenever we can. One of the cool things, too, Brandon has informed me they've added the blue light glasses and uh, probably need to look into some myself. I spend a lot of time in front of a computer. You know, sometimes you get some eye strain. So if you're one of those folks and been thinking, you know what, I need to look into that, visit johnnypacker.com. you got questions, you just hit them up. And listen, if your favorite frame shows unavailable on the website, don't despair. Just send them an email and hey, listen, I wanted to get this, and they'll take care of you. They'll make it happen for you. It's a very easy concept but you guys have kind of been kind of flooding the market over there buying glasses. It's been difficult to keep up, but they've got a great distributor. They'll get it to you right away. Also too, a portion of your proceeds goes directly a portion of your profits from your purchase. Go directly to the cystic fibrosis foundation. John C Packer himself has fought CF his whole life and is now looking to donate some money to help the quality of life of other people who suffer with cystic fibrosis. So again, Promo code Boneyard at johnnypacker.com. Order your sunglasses today. Get Hollywood style with a golden triangle flare. Today's top, list, top 10 list comes from John C. Packer. I've actually had some people mention this to me in the past, and this is an, a, a band we had written down. This hadn't got to them. I said, you know what? Since, uh, since Johnny Packer mentions it to me, we'll go ahead and do it. It's Collective Soul. So Collective Soul, too, is a cool band uh, for me for a couple reasons. So my mother-in-law, uh, Pat Hill, God rest her soul. She was a huge Collective Soul fan. You know, she had this uh, midlife crisis, I guess, in her 40s and started listening to, uh, to rock music again and, you know, listened to Cinderella and Bon Jovi and all that and then got into you know, the stuff that I was listening to. And um, Collective Soul was, without a doubt, her favorite. And the first album, uh, Hence Allegations and Things Left Unsaid, was probably her favorite album. Then the follow-up was probably number two. But uh, listen, she loved Collective Soul so much that we played it at her funeral. Like we went to the funeral home, we didn't have biblical hymns and we didn't have, uh, you know, songs that, that weren't her favorites. We, we put together a playlist of her favorite songs and we played it over the PA. And I believe every second or third song was a Collective Soul song. And so I kind of reminisced about her today when I was putting this list together. And uh, I know it's a special list, and I know that uh, if you like Collective Soul, you're going to love the list, because there's some songs on here that there's a couple of them that are a little more modern, a little newer tracks. It's not just the hits. But Collective Soul is a really solid band. And if you haven't listened to them in years, they're just as good, if not better, than they were when you were listening to them regularly. Obviously, they've gotten you know more proficient as musicians, but you know the quality of the songwriting, I think, is actually – as good or better today than it was back then so let's jump into it no honorable mentions today top 10 collective soul songs number 10 is a relatively newer one it's called new vibration it's uh i guess it's a couple albums back uh it's one it's got a good guitar riff right out of the gate and that's one thing i like about collective soul is they hold my attention from start to finish there's not a lot of songs that you have to warm up to they just kind of hit it and get going Number nine is Why Part Two. Why Part Two? Again, this is another one too. Great intro, great vocal, lyrical content is really, really cool. Number eight, a song that you probably have heard and didn't know the name of the song. I've heard this played at ball games, not in Mississippi State, but like you know, broadcast on SEC Network and other places too. But it's a precious declaration. Check out the lyrics on that one. It says maybe one you want to pull the liner notes out for and kind of read number seven i absolutely love this song and uh, i'm gonna be honest with you from seven through one i could have made a case for every one of these songs to be number one based on how much i like them but this one's heavy and again it right out of the gate the guitar riff all you you're off on the races right right as it starts you hit play and we're, we're jamming love heavy number six might be the heaviest song in the catalog and it goes back to the second album. And it was my favorite song on that album. It's Where the River Flows. And they tune down a little bit, and then they get into that chorus, and uh, it, it's a different band. You know, I think they kind of mellowed a little bit as they got a little bit older, but you could tell there was that kind of that grunt in them. And I liked it. I wanted to hear – I would love if the band had really kind of gone that direction a little bit more. I, I, think, I think actually they probably would have had more fans and they've got a ton i'm not saying that negative at all obviously they've made it work for themselves but i i think you know they kind of became a little bit more of a you're kind of a pop rock band and they had a chance to be really kind of a grungy alternative band so number five and this is this is an absolute gem i love this song it's better now and i love the vocal on it and again the percussion on it is good and it is very radio friendly and a lot of their stuff has really kind of drifted in that direction here in the recent years. But this goes back a few years, but "Better Now" is a very uplifting and, po- and powerful song in many respects. Um, I love the production value on this. one. they did a good job in the studio, and that's one thing about Collective Soul. They do some cool things uh, in the studio that kind of ma- it probably makes it difficult to pull it off live, but uh, "Better Now" is a dope track. Number four, it's December. You probably don't know the name of the song you probably just uh, remember the lyrics where he says turn your head and spit me out don't dream about, don't talk about all of that is December but uh, that's kind of one of those in your face songs and there's not any innuendo with that that's not exactly what they're suggesting but uh, it's a great track and one of their better songs number three and this is one, this was uh, I think my mother-in-law Pat's favorite song and not just from Collective Soul, I think any song. And uh, it's it's a great one. And I, when I hear it on the radio, I get chills. And, and sometimes, I'll be honest with you, a lot of these people, you, you see this gruff exterior. They see the long hair and the tattoos, and and you guys think I'm heartless or whatever. And, and you see how I'm out there sometimes just playing whack-a-troll on Twitter. And you think, you know, well, you know Steve's just not made of much. But you're wrong. And I, I think maybe this book of poetry coming out maybe opens up that side of me. I mean, there are some people... That know me really well that are kind of surprised at how people perceive me but um you know when i listen to this song the world i know from collective soul i always think about pat and it's just one of those things maybe because it takes me back to the funeral and and um i got to actually do her her eulogy at the cemetery you know we had the funeral director of course and we didn't even really have a real service of sorts but when we got up there we just let the guy get up there and read a few scriptures and say a few words, and we just opened the floor up, and we let everybody get up and talk. And it was the best funeral I have ever attended. I told everybody in my family, this is exactly what I want. I want my favorite songs played, and I want all my friends and all the people that love me, I want them to get up and talk and comfort each other. That's what I want. It was the most beautiful funeral I had ever attended. And it was a very difficult time because it's like, you know, my kids have lost their grandmother. And if you've ever lost a grandmother, and all of us have, I assume, it changes you as a person because there is no purer love than that from a grandmother and I really think that Pat found her groove as a grandmother I really do I think once she became a grandmother she became a different person and uh, she used to take my girls to get their nails done and she always took the kids to get back to school shoes that was her big thing and she would just kind of, someday she would just call you at like four thirty in the afternoon and said, "Hey, y'all don't get supper. I'm taking everybody out to eat or. I'm bringing pizza over I mean she was just she was tremendous man and what and if she wouldn't have been my mother in law I would have picked her to be my friend. That's how much I loved her and she was a writer, and she used to always go to the Iowa writers Conference and she just had trouble getting published and um so when I wrote Flem Flam, I dedicated that book to her memory and my dad's memory, and I wrote about both of them in a dedication. Because she would have been so incredibly proud that a book was being published. And I can only begin to imagine what she would feel now that I'm four books in. But um, but the world I know, I want to read a little bit of this too, but I want to belabor the point. But it's just one of these songs that, um, you know, it just kind of takes you, um, it takes you. It takes me back to that moment. That's one of the things, somebody asks me stuff all the time, it's like, can you make a list of, you know, the songs that have special meaning to you? This is one of them. And, um, but this is the part that always kind of gets to me when it says this, so I walk up on high and I step to the edge to see the world below and I laugh at myself while the tears roll down because it's the world I've known it's the world I've known and that's kind of who Pat was it's like she just lived life her own way and it's just, you know she just one of those kind of people that um, she just kind of accepted her reality for what it was and she never really tried to make it any worse or better than it was she just kind of went through life and And I think she actually had so much more to give, and we lost her when we did. But uh, I'm a firm believer that God makes no mistakes. And so, Pat, this is for you. So The World I Know is number three. But I didn't want to end on a somber note. And also, there's a couple songs that I like more. Number two, and there's a time in my life, this is my favorite collective soul song, and uh, it's Gel. Come Together and Let's Gel. And I love the way this thing starts it's like you hear that little guitar in the background and like it's not properly amplified and then it plugs in and it's just so great i love i love the way they kind of mess with us a little bit on those intros but gel is an absolute killer track matter of fact i'm gonna probably jam that on way to omaha but number one's the one that started it all man i remember listening to this man back Man, i was still gosh i guess when this came out you know i didn't have any kids i was just a guy trying to make it in the world i hadn't been sober for very long and um this song came out, and it was just—it was almost euphoric for me when I would hear this. And I, this is back before, you know, we had CDs and cars and that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, you know, you listen to the radio, you listen to terrestrial radio. And I was working in Hattiesburg at the time, and I used to ride around and every day. I listen to this rock station, and then I couldn't wait for a Shine to come on because it's, it put me in such a great mood. Collective Soul, Shine. And as soon as as soon as that album was released, I went down to Sound Shop at the uh, Cloverleaf Mall, and I bought the album, and I loved it. I loved every track on it. But Shine is the one that brought me in, and it's the one that keeps me coming back. And there are times when maybe I'm feeling a little bit blue, I put it on because I find some inspiration in that song. And so that's a top ten. And again, it's a little bit special for me. I may have got a little melancholy during the list. and but that's the thing about music, man. Is sometimes we equate music and songs with people and experiences and places and times in our lives. And so, there are a few of those songs out there. There's some of them that I have. I struggle to talk about. You know, there are some songs of you know that I've dedicated to my grandmother, and there are some songs that I say, you this is, hey, this is daddy's song, or this is like when I'm feeling sad or I'm missing my grandmother. It's like one song in particular I listen to because I just kind of let myself be sad for a little while, and so. The world I know from Collective Soul is one of those tracks for me. And so I wanted to share that with you guys, too, and maybe we have some commonality in that. So Johnny Packer, I hope you like the list. Other people have asked for it. Roy probably has a list of everybody that did, but uh John was the most recent one, so John, there you go. John C. Packer. There's your collective soul list. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. I had somebody reach out and say, Steve, have you done Quiet Riot? I have, and I sent them the Spotify list. I'm happy to do it when I have time. And Roy keeps up with that stuff religiously, man. I don't know what I would do without Roy, to be honest with you. Roy's been such a great addition for me behind the scenes. And uh, he enjoys doing this. And like every so often, he'll message me and say, hey, have we done so-and-so? He gets really excited about it, and I do too. And when you guys send some really cool ideas, we have such a ball talking on the phone about, hey, well, this song's got to be on there, and that song's got to be on there. So thank you guys for, for being a part of that. We wanted to make this, you know, really kind of a listener participation thing, and um, I never thought it would be the biggest deal that it has, but I had a chance to talk to some of our, uh, our college students, our Bulldog college students over the weekend, and they love this, they love this old stuff. They do. It's, like, it's so funny. It's like some people say, well, Steve, you know, you need to modernize your talents and your listening interests. You know, I like what I like. You know, I, I could put down a list of, uh, and I started to do that today, you know, songs from 10 of my favorite albums that you probably never heard of, just to kind of show you, you know, how extensive and, and unique my list can be. And, and um, but I had some guys say, listen, man, I, I love all the old rock stuff because that's what my dad listened to. And so what's happened is some of these guys will put some songs on their playlist and they'll go home and say, hey, and put it on. And dad's like, what are you going to listen to that? And so it's allowed kind of fathers and sons and daughters to kind of connect over some tunes, which I think is just righteous, man. I Absolutely love it. And I had one guy say, Listen, the best one that you've done is when you did the whole week of uh, the history of rock music. Because I never knew all that stuff. And so that stuff excites me too. And so if you have some ideas, reach out, let me know. And listen, none of them, none of them are silly. There's some bands that maybe I can't do them justice. And so I don't want to do the list because I don't want to offend the sensibilities of any of their fans. I mean, you say, Well, it's not that big a deal. What is to me? I want to have some credibility in what we do, and so I may not do them all, but Roy and I talk about all of them. There's some. As soon as I get them, I'll text them. Hey, Roy, we got a request for this. We talk about them, uh, but listen, it doesn't matter how silly it may be or how silly you may think it is. Look, guys, we've done Barry Manilow on the show. We've done Jimmy Buffett on the show. Uh, we've done um, who did we do? We did uh, Whitney Houston on the show. You know, so we're pretty well versed here. We just did Boys to Men. And I told you guys we're going to come back with some rock today. Friday is always going to be a rock day. And I let Roy pick a list earlier in the week. But, uh, again, if you've got ideas, reach out. I'm on all forms of social media, at R. Love to hear from you. Love talking tunes with you guys, man. I really do. All right, next segment of the show is brought to you by Campus Bookmart. If you're looking for the Omaha shirts, the College World Series shirts, then look no further. Go right now to CampusBookmart.net go go right now go pause the show and go do it and use your promo code bsr to save shipping and all orders over 50 bucks because any order less than 50 dollars, as you guys know it's incomplete go order your omaha shirts now before they're gone because that's what you're gonna say well i'll do it let no no it's friday do it now because you're going to get into the weekend and you're going to forget or at least do it after the show Go to campusbookmart.net, order your Omaha shirts, order your College World Series shirts, get your, your regional shirts, get your Superdog shirts. You can never have too much Mississippi State clothing. Am I right? It's summertime anyway. You need to freshen up. I mean, you, I mean, how many, how many years are you going to wear those same old T-shirts? Right? You got all those ratty T-shirts laying around. You know, I'm, Listen, I rotate mine pretty regularly just for that very reason because I love all my, t- my concert shirts, and so I don't want to wear them out. And so I rotate them, and people think I'm crazy because I do that, but I always want to look fresh. And so you need to do the same thing. You need to add some new shirts to the rotation to make everything last longer. You don't want to be like Jerry Seinfeld losing Golden Boy in the wash, right? If you know Seinfeld, you know what I'm talking about. So order yourself the regional shirts, super regional shirts, but definitely your Omaha shirts campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. And, again, that saves you shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. BSR, of course, stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. All right, let's talk a little bit about the rest of the bracket. I have looked at this extensively. I really like the field. You know, sometimes there's a team that makes it and you think, I don't really like them, and, you know, this team is not as good as people think they are. I, I, I think, again, I think anybody in the field is capable of winning this thing. And I think it's important that everybody kind of understands that, too. There's not – we say it all the time on the show, guys, there are no bad teams still playing baseball. That's certainly the case now. Everybody that is still playing is hot. There's nobody that's limped in. There's nobody that you could say, oh, they had a bad weekend in Hoover. And just so you guys know, too – our plane was able to get clearance to land today despite the fact that we got 10 run ruled at Hoover twice the people the College World Series says oh yeah come on doesn't matter okay so let's it shouldn't matter to us right I tried to suggest then as embarrassing as it was it wasn't going to change much we're fine played a lot of baseball since then and you know what we've won what five out of six five out of six if we do that again we're going to be national champions. Think about that for a second. You win five of the next six, Mississippi State's national champion. Let it sink in, kind of warm up to it. I've almost convinced myself we're going to do it. There's still that little lingering doubt. You think, oh, you know, we just need to get a good start. I've almost talked myself into it. But right now, all I want to focus on is beating Texas. And then we'll kind of, after I get a chance to see everybody up close and personal, I'll tell you how I feel, you know, Monday morning. But I do like the field. I think it is one of those things, man, that and I've watched all these teams play over the last couple of weeks, like many of you have, and I'm just so impressed, man. I mean, it's like, you know, what can you say, you know, about Vanderbilt? I mean, it's like it hadn't already been McConnell said. Chester oh my from Digital. I've got Kendall Rogers, Aaron Fit with me today. For- I apologize for that. You know, I actually hate that. I hate the auto-click. On videos and listen, I know that everybody has them nowadays. They've become commonplace, but uh, I just I hate it. I really do. It's because a lot of times too, like I'm working at night or whatever, and and I just don't want to make a bunch of racket. And uh, my dogs are resting or whatever, and so I just you know I don't deal with it. But anyway, sorry about that. So so we got Stanford at NC State in the early game on Saturday, and so I'm going to be there early. so I can watch these teams warm up. I didn't get a chance to watch Stanford, I think, but two times this year. I saw them late in the year. I want to say it was against Oregon. But Stanford is legit, man. And then they exposed Texas Tech, and like we talked about on the show, I think that's one thing you could probably look back in hindsight, probably should have flipped. Texas Tech and Stanford is 8-9, nine? You're right, because Tech was 8 and Stanford was 9. And if you flip them, I think, you know, that would have been okay but it works itself out right that's the thing about these brackets it's not like they got slided to the point that they got you know played somebody that was not of comparable ability i think they were both seated about right we're talking one spot different right but stanford is legit man and so the thing that i think too with stanford because of the fact you know stanford seems to be on this really really nice trajectory they came to Starkville last year, two years ago. They lose the super regional. Now all of a sudden they they're on the road again, but they, they win the super, and they get to Omaha. And they were legit when they came here. We were just better. But I like the Stanford team. I like their pitching. They have struggled a little bit to find the third guy. That won't matter against NC State. And NC State, you could argue right now, in many respects, maybe the hottest team in America. You say, well, Steve, they lost that ball game 20-something runs. That's exactly right. They got shelled in game one, and then they found a sense of themselves and came back and beat the number one team in the country in back-to-back games in their own backyard. That's a dangerous team, man. That's a team that believes in themselves. They went and slayed the dragon in its own lair. Everybody was saying, we're going to follow the chalk here, and Arkansas is going to do this, and Arkansas is going to do that. And NC State said, you know what, nah, we ain't buying it. Now I can understand them winning a game. Then they go back in the next game and do the same thing again and shut down the Arkansas offense. That NC state and Stanford game is going to be great. It might be over two hours and 10 minutes. They might just be able to pitch it to death and somebody wins one or two nothing. But that's going to be a great game. Excited about it. Those guys are really going to get after each other. Then the night cap Kumar rocker versus the Arizona offense. Now, I'm gonna give Ole Miss a little credit here. I didn't think Arizona's offense was that much better than Ole Miss's. I think Arizona's offense was that much better than Ole Miss's pitching. Ole Miss simply ran out of pitching. I think Arizona, I think Ole Miss and Arizona in a home run derby contest, I think it'd be very, very, very competitive. And so I don't think it's a situation where, you know, that the Ole Miss offense just got outslugged. I think. Ole Miss just simply ran out of pitching, and a good Arizona offense took full advantage as they should uh, in Game Three. And listen, I was glad to see Ole Miss lose, but listen, let's be honest. Ole Miss can swing the bats; they absolutely can. You know, and then of course, you know, the people say, "Well, you know, Gunner Hoggins," but he wasn't there. Okay, he wasn't. And you know, what? In Arizona was missing some pitchers too. You know, so that that applies to everybody. But the bottom line is, I don't think this Arizona offense fits Omaha. Teams that are dependent on the long ball get swallowed whole at TD Ameritrade. They just do. Now, that's not to say that Arizona can't go out there and put the ball in play. They can. I actually like Vanderbilt in this ballgame. And it may be better for us for Arizona to win. But with Rocker having plenty of rest and having had experience throwing in the College World Series, And game one, I mean, let's just be honest. Arizona is going to see the number two pitcher, arguably the top pitcher in this class in game one. A lot of guys that hadn't played a lot. That could be dangerous. But I I like Vanderbilt to win it. So I'm going to go with Stanford and Vanderbilt both winning on Saturday. And I can't wait to be there to watch it. Absolutely cannot wait to be there to see these games. And that's the thing. On Friday, I'll get, get checked in, get settled, and I'll have plenty of time in the morning to get all my stuff done, and then I'll be on the way to the ballpark. So, Stanford and Vanderbilt, Tennessee and Virginia. I like this matchup a lot, too. Now, Virginia, of course, is a team that uh, has kind of snuck in here and surprised some people. So, Virginia is 35 and 25 overall. That's right, just 35 and 25. They were a team that had really gotten hot late. They've won two in a row. Uh, 18 and 18 in a conference this year. You know, it's just like you go back and look at this and you think, you know, well, did we see this coming? And, you know, Brian O'Connor and those guys do a great job there. So not the least bit surprised that they made the postseason and even the Supers, but uh, they got, they kind of caught a little bit of a break, I guess. Um, you know, and then they just absolutely get hot there at the end. And it's just one of those things like, a, a, a you know, a, Somebody slipped a switch, guys. Their last regular season game, they're twenty-seven and twenty-two, guys. They're five games over five hundred, entering the ACC tournament, and then here they are in Omaha. I think Tennessee is going to get them, but I do like the grit of this Virginia team. You know, they go into the ACC baseball tournament, they take down Virginia Tech, they shell Notre Dame fourteen to one. They lose to Duke four to two, and then they're out. They go into the regional, lose to South Carolina in game one, and bounce back through the losers' bracket. They take down Jacksonville, they beat South Carolina, and they beat Old Dominion twice. So all this has kind of happened down the stretch. Then, then they lose to Dallas Baptist in game one, and then come back and win the last two. So they're not they're not scared to stave off elimination. This is a team that has basically been playing an elimination game just about the entire postseason. So they're gonna have some moxie about them. They're gonna be ready to roll, but I dislike Tennessee too much. I don't I don't think Tennessee offensively is a great fit for Omaha though. They're another one of those launch angle teams, and listen, this is not Lindsey Nelson Stadium. You're not gonna hit Jacks out of here left and right like you did out there. And granted the ball didn't carry well at night in Knoxville. It's not gonna carry very well at at omaha either and especially when the temperatures begin to cool a little bit so i think you might see some balls fly out on saturday and possibly sunday with it being as hot as it has been but i just don't know that uh, tennessee is a team you look at that is a great fit for the, the that ballpark i think you've got to be able to play baseball and not go up there trying to hit the long ball all the time that's where i think mississippi state has a huge benefit because while we've hit some home runs we're a team that really, when we're at our best, we're a team that's manufacturing runs. I think that's a bigger part of this thing, too, is what do you do when the ball leaves a bat and it feels like you got it all and it's just a routine fly ball to left? Speaking of playing the outfield, Brooks Bryan, one of the developers with this new Portico residential development, man, and great, great people involved in this project, man. You're going to be excited about it. Many of you have said, you know what, Steve, I'd like to move to Starkville someday. Today's the day. Okay, let's stop stalling. And maybe you just want to find a, um, you know, find a home away from home. Maybe you want to find an investment property. Maybe you want to find, you know, something that you can just be here when there's ball games. Maybe it's just a second home for you and you just say, you know what, this is our holiday place. And when we're not using it, we're going to let our friends use it. You can use it for whatever you want to. But Brooks is the guy to talk to to get hooked up here in Starkville. Brooks is a guy that played baseball at Mississippi State. He's very connected and uh, very, very invested in our community. Let me give you his number. It's 601-416-8075. Write that down, 601-416-8075. If you lose it, you need it, contact me on social media. I'll send it to you, 601-416-8075. So Portico is so close to campus, you could run there. It's just over a mile away off Garrett Road, which is basically the first right. Once you turn off of 82 on the 12 headed to campus, the very first right takes you to Portico. That's how close it is. That's how close you'll be to campus. All your friends are going to want to come park and just walk with you. Or all your friends are going to come, hey, let's go over there to their house and just kind of save ourselves some time and effort and aggravation. And plus, you're on the backside of campus, you're not having to fight all that traffic on 12 you're going to be the neighborhood that everybody wants to come hang out in it's great they got that great walking trail set up out there phase one there's i think there's one maybe two houses left so you don't need to delay but phase two we've got the dirt moving now we're getting this thing ready to go to open up phase two so if you delay much longer you're probably going to have to get a phase two house but don't just go ahead and call brooks and get the information and let me just share with this too. too if you're not quite ready but you're just thinking about you know what let me just kind of get some information. That's all you got to do. Call Brooks. He will give you the information. And then you can go to the other parties involved in your decision and make an informed presentation yourself. It's a, what, do you, what do you lose by making the phone call? Call Brooks today. If nothing else, he'll tell you some great Mississippi State baseball stories. Okay. So let me tell you some things I've learned about TD Ameritrade Park. I talked to a couple of former players. There were a couple of things they shared that I think are rather remarkable. So, one guy in particular, I won't say who, but he said, you know what, in batting practice, you're out there and you're hitting the baseball and you're thinking, man, I got it all, and you look up and it's 10 feet from the warning track. Because the ball just doesn't carry the same way out there. And he told me to like Jordan Westberg's home run. I said, you know, the, the ball like Jordan hit and the ball like Hunter Renfro hit, those balls get out. Those line shots where you just absolutely blister one of those baseballs, those get out. Those big, you know, Dave Kingman, Babe Ruth-type home runs, those big majestic ones that just you just launch it a million miles in the air and it just kind of quietly just kind of drifts over it, those don't get out. Those are F7s, F8s, and F9s. That's what they are. And so if you hit one out of there, you, 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 you got to be swinging it. I mean, you're really going to have to hit one on a line. But also, too, when night falls, it's even more difficult to hit them out. Another thing that I was told, the infield there are a lot softer than what we see at Duty Noble Field. So the playing surface is different. You know, we heard uh, Link Jarrett kind of talk about the playing surface. Well, playing surface at Duty Noble Field is a little bit faster than it is at Omaha. Because I had somebody explain it to me, a baseball insider. says, you know, you hit a baseball hard at Duty Noble Field, Duty Noble Field will give you a hit. You just put the ball in play really hard because the ball moves a little faster because you know, we've got different soil content here and there's a lot of games played on that dirt, so it's packed in. So sometimes the ball scoots through the infield a little bit quicker. It's not like that at TT Ameritrade. The ball's a little bit slower there. The infield plays a little more routine there. So it is a pitcher's park in every sense of the word. You, you're, more times than not, you're going to keep them in the ballpark. And you're going to have a slower infield that kind of favors your defense. And I'm told that's one of the reasons that we get these pitching duels in the College World Series. And it's not necessarily that the pitching has gotten better because a lot of times it's the same teams playing each other that played, you know, during the regular season. Just like we went and played Auburn. We went and played Vanderbilt. You know, it's like not a lot of runs scored, but it's like, you know, we played Auburn earlier that year. We absolutely scored at will. It's because the park plays different. Yeah, everybody gets a little bit better, but the park plays different. And so pitchers can go really give you the same effort they gave you in the regular season, but the park is more of a pitcher's park. Balls don't leave the yard. They don't get on your infielders quite as fast. Next thing you know, you got some guy out there dealing. And that's an important part of things. Let's run through some scores from the 2019 College World Series, shall we? Michigan in game one beats Texas Tech 5-3. Reasonable game, right? Florida State beats Arkansas 1-0. Texas Tech wins a loser's bracket game 5-4. Michigan then beats Florida State 2-0. Texas Tech beats Florida State 1-0. And then Texas Tech runs out of pitching and loses 15-3 to Texas Tech after they come through a loser's bracket game. But you see these earlier games... Low scoring, very close, very manageable games. Let's get to the bottom half of the bracket. Mississippi State beats Auburn 5-4. Vanderbilt beats Louisville 3-1. Louisville, in turn, beats Auburn 5-3. Vanderbilt, sadly, beats Mississippi State 6-3. We lose to Louisville 4-3. Vanderbilt beats Louisville 3-2. And so... Again, these games are going to be competitive because the teams are great. But by and large, they're more low scoring because of the fact of how the park plays. And that was the, one of the reasons that I shared with you guys early on that I just, Arkansas just doesn't fit with their brand of offense at TD Ameritrade. As I've shared with you guys before, they scored four runs in two games and were shut out in their first one by a Florida State team that didn't even host a super regional it's important to understand that the park simply plays different now let's go back one more year because we were there back in 18 so maybe this will bring some things up too and and you can remember these these scores as well so we get to omaha i can find the 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 games here we get to omaha and so texas tech takes care of florida six three Arkansas got after Texas, and this is kind of the anomaly here, 11-5. to And then Florida beats Texas 6-1 elimination game. Uh, this is the year, obviously, Arkansas played for an NFL championship. Arkansas beats Texas 7-4. Arkansas beats Florida 5-2. And then those NFL championship games, 4-1, 5-3, 5-0. Um, the bottom half of the brackets where we were. North Carolina beats Oregon State, which is great for us, and we beat Washington one nothing. You may, may recall that. Luke Alexander hits the walk-off. We win the game one nothing. They had that kid that could absolutely strike you out. And then we blasted North Carolina. But if you recall, that wasn't a great offensive game for us. If you remember, we had that one inning. We put up tons of runs. So we barely hit the ball out of infield. They couldn't field the ball. They kept walking hitters, and it was wild pitches left and right. And so... You know, Oregon State and Arkansas were more offensive teams and so they put up some bigger numbers but by and large um, you know the better two teams played I think it's pretty evident in the end you know we had a chance obviously coming out of the winner's bracket game after we beat UNC we thought we were in great shape there and then uh, Oregon State hammers us pretty good there and then we get to the the final and we should have won that game and we absolutely blew it but uh, give Oregon State some credit those guys were the best team in the country and You know, I go back to that Arkansas-Oregon State game two and Carson Shaddy drops that, that pop foul. And when you couple that with what's happened this year, you know, we think we've had it bad at times. And, you know, the Bobby Thigpen home run thing, obviously something that stays with us. But look at the more recent stuff. Arkansas is one out away from winning an NFL championship and they drop it and then lose and then the best team in school history, doesn't even make it to Omaha, gets knocked out of Super Regionals, we don't want that to be us. So let's go take care of business this weekend. Because again, I'll be on the road today, so I'm going to be around to answer your questions on the message board. I'll be in and out on social media. But uh, the bottom line is it's time to go. We spent all year talking about going to Omaha, and now it's here. And there's so many of you that are going. I see a lot of people that are going for the very first time. There's some people that I know very well that are going for the very first time. And I've had people that have said reference a show and say, you know what? About a month ago, I was decided, you know what? If we go, I probably can't go this year. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go. It's a difficult year. But listen, we didn't get to go last year. Nobody got to go. Let's enjoy it while we have it. There's no, we don't know when we're going to get back. We don't know when we're going to get back. Five straight supers. Three straight trips to Omaha, you just feel like we're, we're, we're that, that much closer to just knocking the door down. And, again, I don't think we can be satisfied just getting to Omaha. We've been there and done that. We're there to win. We're there to win. We're not just there to change the graphics on the outfield wall. We're not just there to have a neat little patch on our uniform. We're not there just to update the media guy. We're there to win an national championship. This team has great leadership. We don't have a lot of experience. We have great leadership. But when you look at this field, it is probably the most even field that we've had in recent years. It is absolutely wide open. This is probably the first year in forever that when Mississippi State fans opened the bracket, they didn't think, man, I want to avoid those guys. We need somebody to beat them. There's not anybody on our side of the bracket we can't beat. We've already beat Texas, we played Tennessee once, and let's be honest, we weren't even really playing. And that's, you know, that was an angry Tennessee team that had been embarrassed by Alabama the day before, got beat on what they felt was a bad call. I'd love to be able to see Tennessee again. And I bet Christian McLeod would too. So we'll see how things progress. But I feel good about State beating Texas. Now, I may regret that on Sunday, but there is nothing at this point that I look at with Texas and I say, you know what, this team is better than us. I think it's two very even teams I think we hold a little bit of an edge to the fact that we've beaten them before. They're going to be the home team, but we've got Landon Sims. So let's focus on beating Texas, and then we'll all get together again Sunday night and kind of think about what's next. We'll get together Sunday night, so for the Monday show, you guys will have a preview of Monday and Tuesday's games, and then we'll get together again after Tuesday and figure it out. And you know, if we lose on Tuesday, you know, I'm staying over in Omaha, and I'm not coming back until Wednesday, so we'll have a show either way. So my hope is is I'm going to record you know, the next week and a half of shows in Omaha, Nebraska. So kind of understand kind of coming in here that um, I'm expecting Mississippi State to go to Omaha and do well. And if I talk about it long enough, I can get myself fired up and thinking, you know what, Bednar and McLeod and Hootie, finding some things and pitching in a pitching-friendly park, as long as we don't go out there and walk people, I don't know how we can lose. But we'll see that's baseball we'll figure it out I'm excited I hope you guys are as well and by again by the time you hear this I'm, I'm going to be on I'm going to get some sleep and I'm gonna get on the road and then uh, I'll check in with you guys a little bit later but until next time let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live